0: Behind
1: closed doors. This is Bareview Movies. I'm Jason. And I'm Michael. Jason, what are we talking about today? We are going to talk about 1949's Arson Incorporated by Lippert Productions. 63 minutes.
0: You don't say. Huh? <laughs> and Michael, what are we going to be drinking? We are drinking the classic smoke beer from Schlinkerla German brewery. This is the Martzen. Cheers. They literally smoke the malts. When you open this thing, it's campfire time. If you've ever been camping and you sit around the campfire, the next day you wake up and your clothes, your hair has that smell of camp. That's what this this smells like. It It tastes, there's almost like a, a slight oiliness to it, but not in an offensive way, a bad way. It's malty as all get out. I'm a huge fan of the smoke beer. This one is is great. It's not for everybody, but I love it. This is the first time I'm
1: having it. That smoke smell, when you open up the beer, when you pour it, you, the room has a smoke tinge to it now.
0: I've actually cooked with this beer it's a great if you're sauteing some vegetables and then I put some sausages in with the in the pan a little bit of this and you could put it in a chili a little bit it goes a long way but um, it's a it's a, it's a unique beer what's interesting Michael is that that smoke
1: like you could smell it just smelling the beer but when you drink it it's smooth there's no bite to it and that smoky taste there's definitely that part of it there but it is it it's not like how it smells. I don't know how else to explain it. It is an interesting... It's
0: its its own thing. Its own specific type and style.
1: Perfect beer to talk about a movie that deals with arson. Arson <laughs> ink,
0: in fact. And it
1: is truly a B movie. 63 minutes. Low budget. The director, William Burke, he was a B movie director. Everything in this is B. At that time... There were so many investigating movies that dealt with detectives or police. And I think they tried to branch out. And they're like, you know what? What about arson? We can get an arson investigator movie.
0: <laughs> Does the fire department investigate things? Yeah. They sure do. A crackerjack crew over yeah. there on the arson squad. <laughs> I, I want to take a bit moment and just go over
1: some of the actors and actresses in this movie. Jane Jennings, the love interest... Is played by Anne Gwynn. She was a popular pinup girl during World War II. I liked some of her uh, pictures, you know? She was kind of a dish.
0: I could see that. Yeah,
1: and she was in the Green Hornet serials, the Flash Gordon serials. She made some horror movies. She was, I think, Boris Karloff's daughter in The Black Cat. Played Tess Chuhart in the Dick Tracy versus meets Gruesome movie. Interesting enough, the modern Captain Kirk, Chris Pine. This is his grandmother.
0: So and it's interesting. Her name is yes. J J. We also have Pete Purdy, PP and the villain Freddie Fender. Exactly. Freddie Fender with the pencil mustache and hey, what are you doing over there? Double-breasted <laughs> suit. I'm a I'm a hood. I'm a con man. And
1: the Entire time I'm thinking these sound like comic book characters: Bruce Banner, <laughs> Peter Parker, exactly. Wade Wilson,
0: Lois Lane. I don't think it's common to have that. <laughs> this would be the most square comic book of all time. Because it starts. It basically looks like a PSA for the fire department. And I threw in. Um, it's also a, the Furriers of America lobby. Yes, probably threw some money in because there's this a whole hell of a lot about furs. We open. With a whole text about, hey, thanks to the Los Angeles Fire Department yep. for helping us out. And we get the deputy fire chief. He's addressing us. Yes. Breaking the fourth wall. It was at that moment. I'm going to put you on the spot. You picked this movie. It was at, at that moment where I went, ah. Oh, did Jason just pick... In a movie that's just going to be lecturing me about what the fire department does like it's, are we are we getting into this antagonistic thing where we're going to pick movies to annoy each other i picked this movie because we
1: have several books that we go back and look for reference also i go look on the internet at people's b movies lists particularly during the golden age and this movie shows up on someone's list i'm like hey And then I looked on Amazon, and right now I believe you could buy this movie on a. It's a two movies on a DVD, and I believe it's called Lost Noir. I don't think this is a noir film.
0: I would not put this in the noir category.
1: I think it's just used as a selling point.
0: Yeah. It, there's, there's just not a huge market for undercover fire department arson <laughs> people. It's different.
1: It's not a detective. It's an investigator. And I looked at the movie posters at the time. Those movie posters are pretty awesome. It shows like someone with like top cocktail.
0: It has yeah. nothing to do with the movie. It shows nothing. nothing. <laughs> the, the posters are... it's It's false advertising at its best. <laughs> (laughs) Because you look and you go, ooh, I'm going to go see that movie. And you go, wow, this is Squaresville. They use voiceover sparingly. It's not consistent. And it's basically, I think, when they go, we don't know how to tell a story. So we're just going to voiceover our way to the next moment. Because this deputy fire chief is telling us all about, hey, here are all the fires that go on in L.A. There is this one and this fella named Joe. He's a young up and comer. He discovered there was supposed to be $50,000 worth of mink coats. And Joe, just being you know the observant guy that he is, he knows, wait a second, there's a bunch of muskrat and <laughs> rabbit furs in here. That was suspicious. And what gets even more suspicious is this poor fella, Bob, Bob Halloran, arson investigator. He's an arson investigator. He goes into after and in the aftermath, and he's researching. He's trying to figure out what's going on. Some stuff falls on him. We're not sure. I she, he was murdered. But I'm assuming so. it looked like an accident at first. But we know it's a murder because right afterwards, a hand comes into the screen and yoinks his portfolio. He's got this portfolio that probably said, this is arson, really big. (laughs) But it yoinks it away. So the chief is talking to us. And they do this interesting little pivot. A knock on the door.
1: Pivots his chair, and it's no longer breaking the fourth wall. Now you're in the movie. And the deputy chief mentions at the time, there's 15,000... 765 fires in Los Angeles. Don't know if it's Los Angeles or the Los Angeles County, resulting in $5 million loss per year. Now, the number of fires sounds amazing. The losses, I'm like, eh, not a lot. <laughs> and then recently I pulled a 2012 study, and it says on an annual basis in the United States, there's 62,000 arsons. Grant, This is from a 2012 article, resulting in 1 billion <laughs> losses. Joe comes in played by Robert Lowry. And a little trivia, he is one of the first people to play uh, Batman. In the second Batman and Robin serial, Joe's a good guy and up-and-coming in the fire
0: department. And he's also oblivious that the chief was just facing out, talking to people who weren't there. I kept thinking, I was like, is this, are they trying to be clever? Yeah. Or they just, re- <laughs> they're like, I don't know what to do. We started with him talking to the audience. So just have him turn and we'll just go on and hope that nobody cares. And he says to Joe, Would you be
1: interested in becoming an arson investigator? And Joe says, would I? And now, granted, like I keep coming back to this because there's an old joke that has to do with would I. And every time someone says it in the movie, and it happens a couple times. I'm like, hunchback. Horrible, horrible joke. But something that I, I was tickled by because You were. <laughs> I know you were.
0: Would I? Joe, we'd like to bring you up to the awesome,
1: awesome yeah. squad. And so he gives him the rundown. A lot of a suspicious fires, and are all handled by the same underwriter agent, a man by the name of Frederick P. Fender. Frederick P.
0: Fender. He's underwriting the whole shebang.
1: (laughs) The actor who plays him is Douglas Fowley. Man, the guy made a lot of movies. Tons. Tons. Like, look at his IMDb page.
0: (laughs) And the thing with old Fender is he is straight out of hoodlum typecasting he should have a name tag that says i am a hood so yeah there's there's some shady stuff going on and and they said you know we noticed you you picked up on the muskrat and rabbits and joe said i thought there was something fishy about that whole thing <laughs> we don't know this but now this is where a scheme is hatched and they're like you know the payson's they they were owned one of the warehouses they had a fire that went unreported hey joe we're gonna send you on over to the Payson's, and see what you can sniff out. These people are running, r- ran a scam. So Joe goes to their place. And he knocks on the door, and lo and behold, the Payson's aren't home. It's Miss Jane Jennings, babysitter. She's a doll, and she's also not a fool. No. And Joe, you know, she's not just going to let him in. So he shows her his bona fides, he's got an ID, it's been embossed, and <laughs> he's got the uniform. This is what cracks me up, is when, when are they going to be home? She's like, might be a couple hours. Yeah. Hey, can I come in and wait? I mean, no. I know he's a good looking guy and we got to yeah. have the love interest thing. But go, yeah, come back. Go do what you got to do. Go sit in the car. You can't sit here for two hours. But Jane's <laughs> like, ah, I'm going to let this guy in. Yeah, yeah. we have a witty repertoire. And Joe, his charming, charming self, he goes, at one point, I thought babysitters were Bobby Soxers are old and fat. <laughs> and that's how you win, people? That's, that's a pickup line if I ever heard one. You know? <laughs> So they go back and forth a little bit, and she talks about having 50 kids.
1: Yes. And all of a sudden, whoa! Joe goes, it's a comedic, like a blur like, whoa, what? And she's like, I'm a teacher. Haven't you read the newspapers? Teachers always need more money. It's still true. <laughs> it's still true. It's
0: still true. So then she goes, you know what? Why don't you do some of my job? And gives him some papers to grade. And then we just have this pointless moment where the child she's babysitting, Jimmy, he comes out and he's like, Hey, she's like, Why are you
1: up? He's like, I'm just getting a snack. And he shows and it focuses in and it's like a giant slice of cake. And once again, it goes like, wah, 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 like it's (laughs)
0: supposed to be funny. I don't think this movie was supposed to be funny, but it is. It's not a comedy, but there are funny moments, and I think that's part of the problem. I mean, there, there's a lot of problems. Yeah. But I think yeah. part of the problem is they did have all these jokey moments that completely throw you, and, and then all of a sudden we're talking about setting places on, on fire? fire on purpose and people getting shot, and then it's womp, womp. The Payson's finally arrive home. First of all, the first thing you do is you go, wow, these people are way too old to have this child. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I mean, what what is he, like, eight? Yeah. And these people are, like, in their 60s or something. I mean, I mean they're, they're, they seem really old to have a child that young. Well, they walk in, and there's a babysitter and a stranger. I don't care if he's in a uniform. Yeah. They are way too laid back. Oh, hey, hey, how's it going? Yeah. You go, well, who, who is he? Why is he in our home? But yeah. it's okay with the patients because we find out they're shady. Visibly. This, yeah. As soon as they find out, like... Oh, I'm with the fire department. Uh, I'm here to ask you about your unreported fire. Immediately, the two of them are like, oh, shifty eyes. Yeah. i like, oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's a
1: weasel. There's no other way to describe the character but a weasel. And they go back and forth where Joe is trying to get the story of why a fire happened in the house. Then Jane needs to go home. And Joe, of course, says, well, I, I can take her home. I'm a stranger. I'm a stranger. We just met. In a uniform. I'm I'm going to try this. I've graded your (laughs) your students' papers. I'm a trustworthy guy. I made that joke about the Bobby Soxers and old and fat people. (laughs) Bobby Soxers. I don't think we use that
0: term anymore. They haven't used, we haven't used that term in like 60 years. Yeah.
1: And so th- that was a term used for adolescent teenage girls back in that tire period who were really wildly enthusiastic about the emerging pop music at the time, which at that time was like Frank Sinatra. It stems from white ankle length or collected at the ankle type of
0: sock that was popular in the 40s and 50s. Joe drives Jane home. First meet him, he seems like, oh, he's this nice young gentleman, but he like he comes on pretty strong. Oh, yeah. Like he immediately is just like he's kind of all over yeah. her. She's kind of like, mm, "No, dude, you need to just take it easy." He walks her to the door and he's like, "Want to have a date?" And and she's like, "Yeah, okay. That works for me." So then she goes in, he goes to leave and he bumps into an older lady. She seems <laughs> drunk, and she's like arms around him, and he's, he she's like, oh, I haven't been I haven't been like a man by then. <laughs> and jo, and Joe goes, oh, okay, Granny, party Grandma,
1: duty calls, duty calls, exactly,
0: and then she like lights a match on the wall, like lights a smoke, and she's like, hmm, firemen are a lot more handsome now than they used to be. <laughs> she's a little body, yeah, like not what you would quote unquote, you know, consider ladylike. For that time, you know, even the lighting of the match on a wall.
1: And then the plot thickens, and once again, we have some more voiceover to make sure that we're following what's going on. (laughs) The scheme. The
0: scheme. The second part of the scheme. (laughs) The the deputy chief (laughs) is telling us the next part, we got to draw that Fender out. Got to get him into the spotlight. So
1: Joe is at Fender's office, and we're introduced to Fender's secretary, Betty, who clearly is like. She's like, Joe, he's a hot dish. I'm going to kind of
0: flirt with him really overtly. Nothing coy about <laughs> Betty. She knows what she wants and she goes to get it. The weird thing, though, Jason, is there's someone else at Fender's office. Oh, yeah. Joe's in the waiting room. Mr. Payson is actually in
1: the office with Fender.
0: Fender is just outstanding. So perfectly cast. He should just have... I'm a hood, written all over. He's got the double-breasted suit. He's got a pencil mustache. And, and you pointed out this was a really good, really good eye on your part. Was that even the the camera angles we get, especially early on with him, are off? They're askew. They're, They're crooked. crooked. And he even talks. He's like talks like this. He's like, nah, no, there's nothing to worry about, pacing yeah. You just keep it cool. <laughs> keep it cool, huh? How about you do that? See, it is the stereotypical bad guy yeah. voice. If you were doing a bad guy, like, <laughs> yeah. oh, here's a bad guy, and we're going to shoot it into space yeah. for like other civilizations, they find us to be like, hey, this is what a bad guy in the 40s is like, it'd be Fender.
1: The insurance company is clearly doing no checking on their underwriter agents.
0: <laughs> yeah, some <laughs> somehow, Payson is into Fender for some money. He doesn't have a lot of options. Payson skadoodles out the back door, and Fender goes and brings Joe Martin in. And Joe's doing his, hey, I'm a, I'm just here and answer some questions. I don't want to see a guy. Wink, wink. Yeah. He, he sort of plays it in a cool way, but he also sort of makes it clear. He's, he's, he's like, I don't want this Payson fellow yeah. to get in trouble. Not reporting a fire is illegal. It's like, hint, hint. Basically, he's trying to say, I could be on the take, too. There's this one moment. He's talking to Fender. And Fender, he said, you know, this wasn't reported. Yeah. And and Fender was talking about his secretary Betty, she messed it up. He's like, well, if I dictate to this stupid dame,
1: and we will get into misogyny so, in this movie and the derogatory statements
0: made towards Betty and yeah, Miss Jane Jennings is actually she's a pretty strong character. Yeah. Betty is mistreated, especially I think today you watch and you go, whoa, hey, whoa. So Joe's like, listen, I can play ball.
1: If you need to get a hold of me, wink, wink, I can be reached at engine company number 22. And I looked it up. That uh, engine company closed in uh, January of 1980. The building still stands. It's not the building that you see in the opening scene, but that is down on on South Main Street, not far from USC in Southern California. And Um,
0: Fender eats that up. He's like, hey, I appreciate it. Let us know if there's anything we can do for you sometime. Yeah. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. (laughs) You know what I mean? The scheme, this scheme is kind of going off really well.
1: Fender calls in Pete Purdy, played by Edward
0: Brophy. (laughs) Yep. And Pete, at first, if you just saw Pete, you'd go, this is just a dopey fat guy. (laughs) He's got a lot more going than that. (laughs) He might be a psycho. Yes, might be. (laughs)
1: So after Pete comes in, Fender says, Listen, I think Joe might be useful to our organization. (laughs) I want you to follow him. And so Pete um, lights a match for Fender, and you see for the first time his eyes dazzle at the fire.
0: Perhaps (laughs) this is arson ink. Ink. (laughs) Arson,
1: I'm reading this from a report, arson, a subtype of fire setting, is a criminal act in which one willfully and maliciously sets fire to or aids in setting fire to a structure, dwelling or property of another. By this definition, arson excludes accidental fire setting. A formal definition since the movie is told Arson Incorporated. But now we jump to Joe and Jane's first date. Was he being kind of goofy with her and says, Hey, this is going to be the first night I kissed a girl. I hope he wasn't being truthful because then Jay should have a red flag saying, whoa.
0: He's an odd fellow. For a guy they say is so talented and he's an up-and-comer and whatnot, it's- Joe just has these moments where you go, were you raised by monkeys somewhere? And then they found you and brought you out of the woods. And you, you don't know how to be a human. You don't know how to function properly. A lot of things he does are just weird. One of my favorites, though, is he's being followed. And so to show that he's he's morally ambiguous, he leads Pete to a gambling parlor. Yes. Then all of a sudden, Joe starts smoking. He's trying to show Pete and Fender... That, you know, hey, I'm not like a clean I'm not cut a guy. Swear. Yes, he doesn't smoke until then. He wears his his uniform, whether he's on duty or not. Joe's always in uniform.
1: And I find that would be odd seeing a fireman in uniform smoking. Smoking is far less common now than it was. But oh. it was trying to show like, hey, listen, like I'm, I'm a bad boy. I'm, I'm smoking. I'm in a fireman's uniform. I'm in an off track, illegal booking
0: Parlor, <laughs> and Pete sits down next to him and kind of introduce him, He's like, "Oh, hey, what's going on?" They're talking, and Pete wanted to be a fireman his entire life. He passed the brains test. Oh, why then isn't he? Because he couldn't pass the physical test. <laughs> and Joe says, "Basically, you're you're lucky you didn't become a fireman." And he's, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! Why? The pay, brother. The pay. You can't bet the ponies on a narrow margin."
1: And did you find it strange that the voiceover picked up again and explained the plot? Basically, Joe is trying to act bad so that they'll hire him and they're going to actually have him kicked out of the force. Like, set everything up so it looks like Joe, he's a good guy to hire for your arson incorporated
0: business. This scheme <laughs> is, like, super, super convoluted. W- isn't there a simpler way? In- in a simpler way for us to know... Then having once in a while you just go, I guess we need some voiceover here because nothing we're doing makes sense. Because
1: I thought I think the movie would have been better if you didn't know. And at the end there was a big reveal like, hey, this is undercover all the whole time. But you're told like he is going undercover. They actually stage a raid where Joe and a police officer get in a fight. And it becomes a front page. Immediately it's on the front page that day.
0: What I love is after that happens, they like he's in he's they throw him in the cell, they bring him out, and, and they go, "Well, we can't really fire you." Yeah. I, and I, and I thought, well, I Why don't, not? I don't know what the rules were back then, but you're in an illegal gambling yeah. parlor, you know, in your uniform, and you punch a cop in yeah. the face. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, in most places, that is that me. is grounds for termination. <laughs> but not, I mean, I'm like, wow, I would love to have that kind of yeah. job security go out gambling, (laughs) punching people. (laughs) Smoking? Yeah, we can't. (laughs) Smoking indoors. And and I can't. We can't fire you. (laughs) Good. (laughs) So he, what does he do? He resigns. And man, you know what? At this point, suddenly Joe isn't wearing a uniform anymore. He's going to Pete's. And Pete has an interesting apartment. I was caught off guard by Pete's apartment because there looks like a
1: Chemistry set that sits in the middle of his room. You go to someone's home and they invite you in, and,
0: and there's this like huge Bunsen burn. <laughs> no. There's huge like chemicals and a whole thing, and and you don't even go, "Hey, what's that?" You're like, like I'm you're, a bad scientist. Yeah, it's just like oh, everybody in 1949, everybody <laughs> had a whole bunch of chemistry stuff in their apartment.
1: And Joe mentions, "Hey, I resigned, so looking for work." Pete, hint hint, And Pete's like, well, let's have a celebratory drink." I have to say this: Pete reminds me of Curly Joe. His actions, because they have that drink, and it's
0: right out of it was a his friend's stooch. hooch. Yeah, his friend's my hooch. My friend made this hooch. <laughs> something about prohibition was mentioned or something. He's like my friend made the hooch. so they do it. It's a classic. Yeah, and, and you go, oh, it's like they're drinking rocket fuel. Exactly. They're like, whoa! Yeah. It's That like you wait for someone to go ah, smooth. <laughs> such a funny both. thing. I, I was waiting for Pete to like stop and Joe to stop their feet like, oh, this is harsh. This yeah. is harsh. Like steam to come out of the yeah. ears or something. No, it, it was, again, it was another weird comic moment in a movie that's not a comedy. And Pete, he invites him to a party. There's a serious party, man. and It's going to involve piano player and, I don't know, <laughs> a, an acapella group. I got to just say it. It's like one of the single whitest... Things I've ever seen in my life. Just these these guys standing around me singing, singing his song, The Old Brown Jug. Or whole, something. The, so
1: I had to look these up am like because like, at first I'm like, well, that doesn't make any sense. And then I looked it up and both these really old songs. There is a Tavern in the Town and Little Brown Jug are old drinking songs.
0: It, and it, I wouldn't necessarily <laughs> expect this from like a crime boss. <laughs> This marks the first of many times where Joe, okay, he's undercover, running this scheme yeah. with people who are arsonists. And so he decides he's going to take his girlfriend to the party. Wildly irresponsible. Yeah. And, you know, Fender, of course, like, first of all, Betty is so, like... She's put off. And, but she's also way out of Joe. And Fender immediately just sees Jane, and he's like, "Don't mind if I do." Twist my yeah, mustache exactly, exactly. And, and Pete, Pete is basically just like, "I want to get drunk." Yeah, like Pete likes to drink hard, drink <laughs> heavy, drink now. He's got some bad jokes. And Pete and Hoover's his date. They're
1: dancing. I don't know dance styles from the forties. But I'm gonna tell you, if that was a dance style for a forty, like I, I am really mischaracterized her 40. They're jumping up and down. I mean, it's an odd scene. <laughs> Fender is like an octopus to Jane. Like, he oh. has his hands all over and Joe's like, eh, I'm undercover. Yeah. I, mean,
0: I don't owe anything to her. She has no idea what's going on for yeah. real and I'm going to introduce her to these horrible people. Yeah. And Fender goes, oh, you know, I was telling her she's wasting her time with this teaching. Yeah. Like, like, yes, teaching is a waste of time. Yeah. That's just what a teacher wants to hear. He's She's wasting her looking at all those children. Yeah. <laughs> like, don't you have Betty, like, as a secretary? Like, what, you, you're offering Jane a job, but you already have Betty as a secretary. <laughs> and he's like, yeah.
1: I thought Groner
0: <laughs> her. Yeah, so dismissive, so mean. And Jane, you can just tell, is, is like, uh, no. She has Fender's number. At that point, I, I would like to think that Jane would have been, you know what, I don't like Joe. This is the company you keep? These people are horrible. And I think there's some criminal stuff going on here. Because that guy right there introduces himself as a... Hey, I'm Fender. I'm a criminal. I do criminal things. See? And even
1: the end of the party, when Fender escorts Joe and Jane out, you can see like his heart like is just beating for Jane. And he is just awful to Betty. Poor Betty. Her... At the end, like Fender and Betty, the way they end, it wasn't what I expected at all. Either I thought I, there was going to be a
0: showdown. <laughs> I wanted, uh, yeah, I, I wanted so much more for Betty because yeah. she was just she just literally gets smacked around in this movie, <laughs> figuratively and literally.
1: And as they depart the party, Fender's like, "Hey Joe, I might have something for you." What does Joe do the next day?
0: Well, he contacts Murph, who he's a policeman. Police have Murph following Pete, following Joe. Yeah. Murph and Joe. They meet up for a non suspicious coffee. (laughs) Where they're like doing the old like sitting next to each other and and it's like we're not really next to each other, see? I'm telling you all about what's going on, see? I'm I'm meeting for a job. I'm gonna gonna meet them for a job. They got a job for me, see? (laughs) Like but but we don't know each other, but everybody in the room is going, Yeah, those two guys are having a sneaky conversation.
1: You realize Joe's been offered this job. He reveals it to Murph, like, hey, listen, we're going to be at this warehouse tonight. I'm just a driver. I don't know much more than that. I'll be at this warehouse. And then it gets, it goes back to Fender in his pursuit for Jane. And I want you to talk about that because
0: comic relief, I don't understand. What, what I wrote was, we have some lighthearted comedy before we get to slapping women around. <laughs> Fender, he, he's taking it upon himself. He really, really wants to get to know Jane. Somehow he finds out that she babysits, so he calls her up. He's like, Hey, I heard you babysit, like to hire you and Jane goes, Well, okay, I'll take the job. Well, I don't know if we mentioned this or not. Sometimes Jane does the babysitting, other times Granny does the babysitting. (laughs) So Jane being probably the smartest person in this movie. True. By a lot. <laughs> he sends Granny over. Fender's all excited. Doorbell rings. He goes, he opens the door. He's got a table laid out. Nice spread. Fancy. Got the good china out and everything. And he's already, he's like, oh, here comes Jane. He opens the door and there's Granny. And she walks in and she's like, oh, it's a table for two, huh? <laughs> and And he's leaning against the door and he's doing like the... Wah, wah, wah. And he's just got a look on his face like, <laughs> oh my, that Jane, she got me. She got me. <laughs> like, At that point thinking, if Jane did show up, was
1: he expecting like, hey, I, I, I'm going to pay for you to be a babysitter, but really...
0: Yeah, we're gonna that. have a
1: nice <laughs> dinner tonight. It might get romantic.
0: You know, you know what we're gonna do? See,
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's how he's gonna get a woman. Is he's gonna hire her you don't. as a false pretenses and think that's gonna win her over. You like, don't? Oh, you romantic cab! You, <laughs>
0: <laughs> you lied to me. You just lied to me. Oh. I think that's really sweet.
1: Like Granny, I love her. But now we're at the
0: the warehouse. So Joe. Oh, not just any warehouse. It's a haberdashery. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the, the 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 job is a haberdashery. And you go in and you take whatever jewels and furs. It's always furs. Always furs. This, there are furs galore to go. I'm mean, just furs for days in this movie. And
1: I had to look it up. You know, a muskrat. It looks an awful lot like a beaver.
0: That's yeah, <laughs> a smaller the, version. Yeah, I never.
1: Yeah. I had no idea. I'm like, oh, why is. Why is mink worth way
0: more than a muskrat? (laughs) Obviously, you don't have a lot of muskrats out here growing up on the West Coast. They're they're fairly common in the Midwest. Pete says, grab stuff, because that's kind of
1: your extra. You know, you get a little extra pay if you grab the stuff and hawk it.
0: Hey, Joe, then come over here. (laughs) See what I got. I got going on. It's it's on a timer. It's it's on a delayed fuse. Which is like, the delayed fuse is like five minutes. Because no sooner do they walk out, than stuff starts smoking. And Joe has alerted Murph. This is where the scheme is taking us. And so Murph Murph comes out of nowhere. Goes in and puts <laughs> out the fire. What I love is he goes in and just starts grabbing things yeah. to like beat the fire down. It's not like, he doesn't have a, a fire extinguisher yeah. or anything. It's just... I mean, he knew a- the plan. Like, this is going to be arson. Yes. i come prepared. So he goes in and he's like, ah, oh, well, what can I do? To to beat this fire down, so and Pete, I do question his 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 decision making because Pete's like, "Ooh, I like to go back and watch my fires." That is the worst thing for a criminal to do. He set fire. They're gonna take
1: all the stuff they took out, their booty, and gonna unload it. But then Pete wants to go back and watch
0: it. In the drive back, he goes, "I remember when I started ten fires with no motives back east (laughs) to cover a quarter million dollar insurance job. They thought I was a psycho." Can you imagine that? Someone thinking I'm a psycho? No. And and you know what he has? The look on his face that he has is psychotic. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) He's a psycho. And Joe's just driving, like, staring straight ahead, like, Like, oh, sweet, sweet Lord. What did I get myself (laughs) into? The scheme. This guy's a psycho. Oddly enough,
1: when I did my dive into this, and I read this 2012 report about... And we'll link out to it in our show notes. <laughs> it says that mental illness are overrepresented in arsonists compared to the general population. So I just point out, like, he is a psycho. <laughs>
0: <laughs> they go back and they're like, "Hey, that place should be blazing by now." <laughs> it's not because murph murph saved the day. So. He goes, I got to go in there and check my fuse. <laughs> and Joe's like, this isn't a good idea. No. And, and he's like, well, I'm going anyway. So he goes in. And honestly, dude, this is where everything should end because they go in and they're like, yeah, it's not burning. So he's like going to reset it. And Murph is there. So there's a little exchange of gunfire. And Pete shoots Murph. Yeah. He shoots a police officer. At that point, the investigation, this scheme should stop, should be done. It's like, and there you go. You got Pete, yeah. and probably a little arm twisting. You could probably yeah. get Fender, you know. And Payson, yeah, yeah. Payson yeah. will
1: roll everybody. Yeah, out.
0: but no, they like they they still take off. They book it. They they beat a hasty retreat.
1: And the driving at the time, they are driving through the streets of Los Angeles. It's the best thing because Joe's the driver, and it's showing the exterior shots on these cars like zigzagging, like screeching tires. And then Joe's in the car. And it's
0: like doo 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 do, doo doo like. It
1: doesn't match
0: up at all. Like, I plan on taking a left in <laughs> yeah. about three quarters of a mile. <laughs> They've got to face Fender over this whole deal. And Fender has a very unique crime boss view on all of this.
1: When you're looking for that classic villain lines, he says, I don't believe in luck. Luck is for the other guys. Insinuating Joe and Pete are the other guys. You find yourself in deep water and you're going down for the third time. Don't Grab on me, Pete's feelings are hurt. Exactly,
0: because I think Pete thought there was a little more of a relationship than there really is.
1: Fender is a sociopath; he doesn't care about anybody. And when they depart, he he assumes because this deal went sour that
0: Betty. He he just just storms out, and this is it's a jarring moment. Yeah, we cut to Betty sitting at her desk, and all of a sudden the door just like kind of explodes open. He comes out, not a word, just smacks her. Her line is, hey, what's the big idea? He goes, you told the cops about our caper. <laughs> she's like, I would never do such a thing. I don't know why he would think she would yeah. do that. I mean, because she's super loyal to him. It's a not a cool moment. I didn't understand exactly why he thought it was her. And immediately she goes, I'd never do that. I love you. You know, you're cra- I'm crazy about you and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and he goes, ah, oh. he doesn't say, you know, ah, eh, sorry. Yeah, he just, he's, he's just like. No, eh, you probably didn't. Yeah, you probably did. I'm gonna and, move on with my day now. And this,
1: then he's like, "Okay, I want you to ask Pete out because Pete's always liked you." And He's gonna find out if Pete or Joe were the ones who alerted the police. And my whole time is like, "You should assume it's Joe." <laughs> you, like, you, like he you was just used to be a fireman. He hasn't done any work for you in the past. <laughs> assume it's Joe.
0: The one job he was on, <laughs> it didn't a go. Not showed up. <laughs> offenders like, a bad crime boss. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He he really is. No, no, you're you're absolutely right because I just assumed that he's like, hey, go with Pete. I think it's Joe, and I got to prove it. You know what? Who prov- has to prove things? The law. Exactly. Criminals like I've watched enough criminal movies. It's like they don't need to prove things. If I suspect you, you're gonna get shot. You're gonna end up in a landfill somewhere. <laughs> I watched a lot of gangster movies. <laughs> That's what happens. They're not like, you know, we got to prove it beyond a reasonable doubt, like Pauly in Goodfellas wasn't yeah. wasn't wasn't like we got to prove this beyond a reasonable doubt. It's like, <laughs> like, hold no. on, guys,
1: do we have reasonable doubt
0: established? <laughs> Let him go.
1: But so it leads
0: to a great date scene. Hey, we we got a lot of serious drinking to do. <laughs> Betty calls up Pete. And basically asks,
1: you want to go out on a date? And he's like, would I? <laughs> Once again, I'm like, I love that line. Would I? And I'm,
0: anyway. Pete's really excited about this. Oh, yeah. Going to go out. And for some reason, this date, he's like, he decides it's a double date. Yeah. And he tells Joe, you know, hey, you know, bring you, bring you Lady Jane. Again. Joe should not be doing this. No, should not be involving this woman in this. But Pete's like, we're going out for this meeting, drinking. It's really drinking. There's there's a bite or two in between like bouts of heavy drinking with these people. So on the
1: drive to the date, Joe finally turns to Jane and says, "To let you know, since the moment we met, I've been working undercover." I would think most people's reaction is like, "You got to be kidding me!" So you've been bringing me to these places that are inappropriate. But her reaction is opposite, she's like, "Oh, okay." I'm game.
0: Let's do this. That's, that's, that's exactly what I was thinking. Like at that point, you know, she she should have been stop the car, stop the car. Do you take me home? Yep. You've endangered my life. She <laughs> seems like a little turned on by <laughs> a, 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 a little bit. <laughs> and so we get to the dinner where the serious drinking commences. Pete's like, just bring us a bottle. <laughs> and so they're all, they're all drunk. They're being him, him and Betty are getting just wasted. And they're having a good time. There's a point where they're trashed. And Betty starts revealing information. And at first you
1: think, Pete assumes that she should not be saying this.
0: Was that before or after when she goes to a cigarette and he lights it? And once again, we get that moment. Pete lights a match and then he just stares creepily at the flame. Pete is clearly a pyromaniac. Which doesn't make for a good fireman. No, no. That's probably why he didn't get hired. It's not the it's not the physical test or the
1: brain test. Is that you? You like fire? You're, you're a pyromaniac. You're mentally ill. They're smashed. Loose lips. Exactly. Betty starts talking, and Pete's assumption is that she's revealing stuff. And Jane actually helps pull more information from her. And so first, <laughs> I can tell you about where the
0: first at a on. warehouse I'm tonight. Furs, you yeah, know, I tell you, you like furs, don't you? <laughs> so she's going on and, on and on again, furs, huge commodity back in 1949. But then Pete slaps her, just, boy, he slaps her. Cracks her. Yeah. Just like, hey, stop talking. And she's like, hey, I'm going to talk about furs. They get up and she says, Fender said he wanted me to reveal this. And he apologizes. Pete goes, honey, I'm sorry I belted you. And that's it. All is forgiven. Poor Betty. I, she's <laughs> a damaged soul because she keeps going back to these fellows, and they're smacking her around. After the serious drinking, Joe's like, "Oh, you know, I gotta take Pete home. Pete's drunk. Gets fisky with Jane in that front seat, and they <laughs> laugh it off. I'm oh, like, <laughs> whoa, 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 now!" <laughs> oh, like, Different, different times. Joe gets Pete into his home. And Joe, for some reason, he knows, like, okay, first of all, we figure out at this moment, Pete probably killed Bob Haller and yoinked the portfolio. But Joe, he knows exactly where to look. Pete keeps it in a file cabinet next to his bed. I don't know why, but Joe... Yoinks it back It's like you yoink this I yoink it back And books it That was convenient Why did Pete have it? I don't know feel like you take that and you burn it But no, he put it in a file cabinet Because Pete is there, very confusingly intelligent
1: Yeah, because he passed the brains test Jane and Joe head down to this warehouse To see what Betty had told them That there was supposed to be a fire And they show up, the police show up And nothing's going on but Pete wakes up at that same time. The guy could
0: clearly deal with his drink because he's sharp again all of a sudden. He, he gets up and he goes, immediately, he, he's, he's like, ah, I wonder if anyone yoinked that portfolio. <laughs> so, and he opens the jar and he's like, it's been yoinked. So he's, immediately he's, he's like, oh man. They must be at that warehouse where Betty sent them. And Fender, this is his scheme. There is, is nothing there. Warehouse
1: Just, attendant is talking to the cops. There's nothing here. Joe's sitting there. Jane is sat in the car. And he's like, well, you know, if anything, I'm sorry I called you guys out here. But anything, look, I do know that Pete now definitely killed.
0: Yeah, like, he shows up. Definitely yep. killed.
1: Like, there's no, like, this question. Proves.
0: This proves. This proves. Pete Purdy killed <laughs> Bob. Bob. <laughs> and then the, the, the cop turns. He goes, come on, boys. We're going to make a pinch. <laughs> They, they went to make a pinch at this place but now
1: they're like well, I gotta go make another pinch well at first too the cops make a blonde joke cause when they show up there's nothing there they ask Joe's like, where'd you hear for this from from a blonde <laughs> I thought it was really like why would you say
0: that after they bail the warehouse guys, like he gets yeah. on the phone, he calls Fender, and he's like, he's like, the jig is up. Yep. You know, something's <laughs> going on over here. So he says. So Fender, Fender is in his car in, on a car phone. You, I had to look this up. You could My have those. It wasn't a common thing, but you could. Like I looked this up. Mobile telephones for auto bills became available
1: from some telephone companies in the 1940s. Pete as Joe is talking to the policeman. Pete, a shadow appears next to Jane who's waiting in the car. And it's Pete. He's tracked them down and he grabs Jane. And then when Joe shows up, brings him back to the warehouse. Yeah. And now the movie to create intensity, we have this back and forth between fender in his car with Betty driving to get to this warehouse. I don't know why. I'm assuming he's driving to the warehouse and then Joe and Jane were able to get away from Pete and so there's a cat and mouse game taking place with shooting guns in the warehouse and it goes back and forth and back and forth and every time you see Fender's odometer escalate in speed and you see Betty's like raising her eyebrow like whoa yeah. 80 and miles whoa it looks like
0: they might be winding through some canyon roads like it's, I mean it's, no it's, lights like no idea where this warehouse is at for for furs and and Jason you're 100% right I, why does Fender need to go there
1: you're right. He said, "Don't drag me down. Go into a place where crime is taking place. That's dragging you down. Like stay away."
0: Yeah, it, abs- no, you're ab- absolutely right. So of course, Pete's um, solution to all of his issues is, yeah. we're, we're, "I'm going to start fire." <laughs> he's like, he's, can count on Pete." <laughs> he's going through. He's going through the warehouse. Chase and Joe. Meanwhile, the warehouse guy, he got shot. And he's laying next to the door, the door that leaves the warehouse. Yeah. Pete's walking through and he gets like a crazy look in his face. You know that can mean only one thing. He's going to start a fire. So he goes, oh, he's looking around. He's like, there's a bunch of like paper. And he lights it and then he goes out to the front door. And this guy, who I assume is an associate. <laughs> the guy's laying there. He's like, hey, can you give me a little help? At least... I mean it'd be super easy. You just drag, drag the guy six out, feet yeah. and he's out and Pete just ignores him at first and then he's yelling back and Joe he's, he's like, Hey Joe, it's either it's either the fire or me. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. And Joe goes over to some little box that like calls for the like the fire alarm. Yeah, He knows fire stuff because he's a fireman. He's like, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so So does Pete. They are on opposite sides <laughs> of the fire world. But when Pete does set the fire though, it's like his faces are so odd. There's, there's like an arousal, and meanwhile, this guy is he's like, laying there. Pete, help me! Hey, Pete, can you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know. Drag me out of the burning building. And then I think Pete intends like, well, I can help you.
1: And I think Pete's intention is the only. He's like the only way I can help
0: you. I think Pete's gonna kill him. No, no, he actually does. He takes the gun and he goes, "This is the only way <laughs> I can help <laughs> you." And he's, 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 he's like, a psycho. He's, <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, no, actually, actually, no, Pete. <laughs> plenty of other ways you yeah, can, can think this situation you, you can take his hand and drag him ten feet then we go back poor poor Betty because the cops are now chasing them they're hauling butt they're over a
1: hundred miles per hour in, in a gigantic
0: car <laughs> yes in yeah. a huge car that's not easy to stop and of course they come up there's like a detour like the road is closed in front of them and there's no way they're making this they blow through the d- detour sign right off a cliff
1: is and, that the way you thought they were going to end I mean, that, that, I was like, oh, you got to be kidding me.
0: Like, that was like the weirdest end. It, it just went, we ran out of money. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's totally what it was to me. Kill the villain now. Yeah. No, be, because that's not how that goes down. I was hoping and I thought maybe there'd be like, you know, oh, Fender gets caught and, you know, Betty is redeemed in some way. But no, it was it was such a weird ending for the main villain. In most movies, like that would be Pete's end. And Fender would be the guy who's like, Hey, see, I'm going to shoot you. That's yeah. how I'm going to help you. <laughs> and, and it was a really just odd, like out of nowhere ending for that thread. I mean, Betty, she's an adult. She yeah. makes her own decisions. She was victimized in so many ways. Yeah. I thought it was kind of crummy that, that's that how... she had to die at the hands of him yeah. taking her down. So Pete's back at the door, not helping his buddy <laughs> and actually going to kill him. And Joe cause like sneaks up yeah. to the door and is like, bam, karate chop. <laughs> total, total karate chop moment. Just, just smacks the gun out and beats him up. And the police show up. And yep, there, we're done. Deputy chief shows back up, Damn. sums up everything. Should be noted, there's a lot of smoke going on with that fire at the warehouse, which brings me back to the schlinker lot. Yeah. The the Roush beer. This
1: is a different taste, but it's not going to be for everybody. I like it, and I think you mentioned, and now it's stuck in my brain, there's a taste of a ham sandwich there, like a good smoked, you know, Black Forest ham sandwich or anything like that.
0: It's a style I think everybody should try. Absolutely. And if you are going to try it, I I mean, the Martzen, this brewery, pretty much everything they have is smoked simply because... When you're brewing this style, everything's going to have some sort of smoke. It's not everything is this smoky, but most everything they have has a smoke tint to it, which is really nice. I like it. It's fun. The Martzen is my personal. If you want something a little sweeter, the Urbach would be a way to go. I do think if you're really into beer, at some point, you should give one of these a try. And I would recommend going with this one because this is sort of the original this is the flagship of all smoked beers. If you have someone to share it with, that's even better because it's fun to like have something and go what what do you think? I mean, yeah. it's like you're all if you're all alone drinking this, you're going, "Wow, this is great." But it's fun to have somebody to bounce it off and it's fun to turn someone on to.
1: I'm just going to read a little off the back of the bottle. It's considered the classic example in the category. It has been brewed for centuries in the baroque town of Bamberg. In Franconia, Bavarian Germany, following the most ancient malting traditions, all its select barley malts are kilned over a fire of beechwood logs, brewed in classic copper vessels and matured for months in 14th century cellars. Nice head, nice mm-hmm. foam. The Cheers. taste itself, like the smoke, I think some people will smell it and go, oh my gosh, I'm going to be drinking the campfire. But the taste itself is very smooth. There's no bite to it.
0: Like, wrapping this up, I mean, we find out that Fender's dead. Pete's going to jail. Yeah. Do you know that, that Joe and Jane, they're together. And they have that
1: final scene where...
0: Uh... Where they go in, they close the door, but then all of a sudden Joe goes, Oh oh, Let oh me one this second, to... I'm going to put the chain up. Because Granny just barges in whenever. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what? We can't have Granny barging into her own home. <laughs> you locked her out of her own... That's, that's one of the things I kept thinking about. I'm like, she was a good sport about yeah. it but you locked her out of her own home you're like you can't come into your own home <laughs> joe's kind of a jerk <laughs> poor I'm, grandma I know.
1: and she opens the door and the chain stops her and she's like it's like i smell smoke and joe's response is like, you're right grandma it's us hit hit nudge nudge week week know what i mean know what i mean exactly <laughs> and grandma goes Ooh. I mean, it ends on a creepy note where Graham was like, oh, to be young again. I'm going to watch
0: you guys. You like know. her face in that little like four inch space where the chain, the door opened and she's just like, ooh, ooh. I'm going to watch you guys make out and you, maybe something else. Yeah, it's, it's, it's so creepy. Suspension of disbelief aside, the one thing that I kept going back to was the fact that Jane was still okay with Joe after the whole thing. I know. It just defies belief to me that she wasn't like, get out of here, get out of my life. Are you recommending this movie? I could not recommend, honestly, people find this movie and watch
1: it. Like, you've listened to us, that's all you need. It's, it's not easy to find. In my modern take, it, it seems more funny than plain straight. It's an odd mixture of a PSA a straight crime movie and then this a huge amount of comic relief. I don't understand the mix. It's truly a B movie that was shot as a b-reel during the time of the Golden Age of B movies. If you find it, it'll give you a laugh, but I cannot recommend people go out and try to find this or watch this movie. I
0: can't either. I made the comment. I said I said it, it clocks in at an hour so it doesn't overstay its welcome. but I just kept finding myself going, why? Why are they making this? What is the purpose yes. of this movie? I, I just don't get it. There are no characters that really bring me in to go, like, oh, this is interesting, or this is, like, really a dry... Like, Pete Purdy staring at a match just wasn't enough for me. If the best thing you can say is, you know, this movie is not very long, <laughs> I'm I'm always like, whoa, that's a bad movie. The only thing
1: I can mention, too, is that... Um, you know, Robert Lowry, talk about people who played Batman, and we always talk about Adam West and Christian Bale and, of course, you know, Michael Keaton.
0: I do not talk about Adam West. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, Robert Lowry played Batman. Yeah. And
1: it's interesting, when I was digging down to these actors, um, Roy Thomas, it was the sixth anniversary of the original Green Lantern in a panel at the New York Comic-Con. He mentioned that the original Green Lantern, Alan Scott, he had this sidekick named Doi Dickles, and they asked who was this based on. I got it from the actor Edward Brophy, who was an Irish detective before the World war, War in the 1930s Warner Brothers movies. He was overweight, little taxi cab driver with a little derby and a cigar. And what an unlikely assistant for a guy like the Green Lantern. You know, you have a Batman character and you have a link to Green Lantern. Good for Pete. Good for Pete. Pete and Fender. So the actor, I once again want to mention his name, Douglas Fowley. Fender and Pete Purdy like made the
0: movie. Like Joe, I could care less. Of him. <laughs> I, you know what? It, it, he he did zero for me. It was like, you know, I mean, I mean, poor Betty. Yeah, poor Betty. We watched yeah. it. We, <laughs> we watched it. We watched it plenty. You don't need to. I would. I,
1: I do recommend the beer if you have not tried a smoked beer before. This is this is delicious, Michael.
0: Yeah, cheers. I, I, that that I was going to say the same thing. I Can't recommend the movie, but the Schlankerla Rausch beer so so tasty it's unlike anything else we got that out of it you got to try a smoked beer <laughs>
1: that was a plus for this movie that being said this is beer and b Bee movies i'm jason and i'm michael